0: You need to develop policies that encourage people to change their behavior, but then that will feed back onto future cultural preferences, which creates a kind of dynamic process, which over time we think is the only viable solution for dealing with climate change.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Shot of Science, a podcast series by Annual Reviews, where we ask some of the world's top experts what they're thinking about right now. I'm Anna Rasqued-Paz, I'm the engagement editor here at Annual Reviews, and today our president and editor-in-chief Richard Gallagher is in New York City. He talked to Professor Tim Besley of the London School of Economics at the editorial committee meeting of the Annual Review of Economics. They discussed how cultural attitudes and political movements affect policymaking.
2: Hi, this is Richard Gallagher, and I'm in New York City with Professor Tim Besley of the London School of Economics. Tim is currently the president of the Econometric Society, and he's an editor of the Annual Review of Economics. Tim, can you describe just one thing that is um, exercising your interest at the moment?
0: So it fits into a broader uh, area that I'm interested in, which is how economics takes cultural change seriously. And the issue which is partly inspired by recent events in London, but is a much more important and central academic issue, is um, around environmentalism and changing behaviours and attitudes and policies towards protecting the environment and combating climate change. And the reason why it fits in so well with recent events, I don't know whether uh, your listeners will be familiar with the Extinction Rebellion, which was a movement that, that came into town and blocked a couple of bridges and uh, organised a series of public demonstrations around um, the environment, in, in with the main focus being on it's time for government to declare an environmental emergency. And uh, it got us thinking, in fact, related to work I'm doing with my uh, uh, friend and co-author Torsten Persson, which is thinking about um, how it is that policy and cultural change and politics all uh, interrelate to each other. So economists have traditionally um, taken a a very technocratic view, is that we design policy, we try and influence uh, the world through policy, particularly through behaviour change but we don't think of people's preferences and values as changing. That, that's what I mean by culture. That, 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 that stuff is fixed and determined outside of the economic system. Uh, but here were these demonstrators trying to persuade us all to change our behaviour, of course via policy change, but much more than that, trying to appeal to people to embrace environmentalism, to change their behaviour um, and so in the work with, with Torsten that we were already working on, we've, we've borrowed ideas from um, cultural, looking at cultural evolution to think about the interplay between policy, politics and change. And that uh, very much for us crystallised why we've been working on this and the role of social movements and politics driving forward policy that then feeds back onto um, the way people perceive their values so I there, think is of the essence here.
2: There's evidence that movements like Extinction Rebellion actually are successful, or in some cases is it counterproductive?
0: Well, this is, in some ways I don't think we're at a point where the evidence is clear-cut either, either way. Um, what we do know from the evidence is that there's very distinct patterns across countries in environmental preferences. So in our paper we show that there, there are, there's a distribution of... Views, uh, For example, if you ask people, should the government put up taxation in order to fund improvements in the environment? Those attitudes vary enormously across countries. They vary enormously across individuals within countries. So then the question arises, where do those differences come from? we, th- we think they're fundamentally cultural attitudes, they're not things we're born with, so we acquire them either through socialization from our parents, through socialization via by our, by, by our peers, or through education, and through policy, because policy, in a sense, affects um, the costs and benefits of subscribing to particular uh, value systems. If, it, you know, if we put up carbon taxes, that, that ought to be a boost, not just to um, the direct effect on climate change but indirect effects through changing people's values but is the evidence out there to unequivocally argue that this is a major channel of influence? I don't think we know at this point but there's pockets of evidence from experiments and from other places that suggest this is a this is an area we ought to be thinking harder about and I, I think I can also say without fear of contradiction, it's an area where econ- economics has not been working uh, as, as much as it could be on this particular path of change.
2: How exactly do economists approach the issue
0: then? Well we, we've developed an approach in our work which is to uh, allow for an, a, for a, a, a mechanism by which one generation socialises the beliefs of the next generation in a way that's influenced, though, by the incentives put in place via policy. So we see it very much as a kind of complementary process. You need to develop policies that encourage people to change their behaviour, but then that will feed back onto future cultural preferences, which creates a kind of dynamic process, which over time, we think, is the only viable solution for dealing with climate change. Because it's just not reasonable to think the political process will deliver the kinds of policies that um, the scientists are telling us we need to avert that, unless there can be behavioral change coming from other um, sources, namely the cultural dynamics we're describing.
1: We are going to take a quick break. Stay with us.
2: What is known? What isn't known? Knowable Magazine, the award winning journalistic publication from annual reviews, seeks to make that knowledge accessible to all. Knowable reports on the current state of play across a wide variety of fields, from agriculture to high energy physics, biochemistry to water security, the origins of the universe to psychology. Every piece is deeply reported, fact checked, and free to read and to republish. To stay in the know, Head to knowablemagazine.org newsletter and sign up for the free Sunday newsletter today.
1: And we're back. Now, Richard and Tim Besley discuss how economics can develop ways of predicting how change is affected by social movements.
2: Does that maybe open up a new way of uh, developing predictive Economics Is there such a thing? Well, I guess all economics is predictive, but longer-term uh, predictions because you can look at socialisation of movements in the next generation.
0: Yeah, I think w- w- the, the next phase of this research in general is to get a much better quantitative grasp on how important these mechanisms can be. Um we think they're real from a sort of theoretical point of view. One can write down the channels of influence, and I think, without question or doubt, they're they're an additional source of influence that we should be bringing into our into our dynamic models of long-run change. But whether these things are large or small effects, what needs more and better evidence? And you mentioned that earlier that. You know, we, we still have rather limited evidence on the dynamics of preferences. I mean, we know over you know, our, our lifetime, changes in smoking habits uh, have been a dramatic cultural change. So we know cultural change can happen. It can happen quite quickly. But we don't really have a good handle on how fast can you get these things to change with particular stimuli, whether they come from public information campaigns through policy change, through socialisation, they're all different channels that we really need to learn to con- quantify much better to do a proper predictive job on, on this. But we're not there yet at being able to do that.
2: Do you, as economists, make value judgments on the type of topics that are driving this sort of um, socialisation of economics? And are there some that are desirable and some that might be less desirable from your point of view?
0: Well, that's a very, very good question. I mean, it's unavoidable if you want to get into what you might call the normative side of this. You've got to make a decision about what would make the world better as opposed to just what would make the world different. Um, Traditionally, economists have been um, quite comfortable to have normative frameworks to work with. But in a world where people have fixed preferences and beliefs, it's much easier than in a world where those beliefs are changing. I mean, if we think back, the kinds of behaviours that would have been deemed socially acceptable 50 or 100 years ago um, look very different from the kinds of behaviours that would be deemed socially acceptable today. So how do you think about that? Do you think about it that there's some universal set of preferences that allow us to look back to the past and say according to those, the world is better than it was in the past or not? Or do we think that uh, uh, we should weight the preferences of the people alive at a particular point in time and evaluate things relative to their preferences? Um, Or should we just look for a metric that really disengages from preferences? So Amartya Sen, for example, who's very very influential in this area, argues that we should just home in on what he calls human capabilities, which are not preference-based. They are the things that he thinks are constituent of Leaving, leading, fulfilled lives that really aren't dependent on the preferences of any generation. They're just universal values that go, you know, all the way back through history and have always been universal values. So society is better if we have more of those things. Um, uh, and we've tried in our work to, to, to look. Could look at the arguments based on different types of normative criteria rather than saying that it's just this one or this one. But ultimately if it's the case that you know, climate change is going to be so destructive to the very basic lifestyles that we all have, I think it would be hard to argue on the basis of any reasonable normative criterion that we ought to be thinking in terms of those things that can have the best chance of averting that from happening in the future.
2: How interesting. Well, Sir Tim Besley, thank you very much.
0: Thank you.
1: This was Start of Science. Join us next time for a conversation on designing food for sustainability with Julian McClements of the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. This episode was hosted and produced by Richard Gallagher and me, Anna resquad Paz. Annual Reviews is a non-profit publisher dedicated to synthesizing and integrating knowledge for the progress of science and the benefit of society. Thank you again to Tim Besley of the LSE. Music today by Silent Partner and Vibe Mountain.